Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Strength and Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Rodenbush, sitting down today with Rahi Patel and Marguerite Warner. Um, they are our alumni program for Raritan Bay. This is, um, how far are we from New York City? 20 miles. And um, Marguerite is our senior alumni coordinator. Um, she was the first uh, coordinator I got to hire in my role. And she's just done an outstanding job, very beloved at this facility. And Rahi is one of the newer coordinators. They've just built an amazing um, team here. Last night we had the alumni meeting. I don't know how many you had. It it was almost standing room only um, for that alumni meeting. And uh, just for someone who doesn't know, like what does it mean for the alums to just come back into our facilities, both on their part and then for, for you both? I think for us it's the reward um, in seeing them sober, clean, excited, um, wanting to make that peer connection. You know, they're they're so excited about seeing the, you know the people that they were in treatment with. So excited about new, meeting new people um, in the alumni program, in the alumni association. Uh, but for me, um, it's a little bit different. I just get that excitement and and that joy in my heart. Um, for them to get a day clean and sober is such an incredible miracle that to see them wanting to, we're doing something right to see them want to come back to the facility that they mm-hmm. were in treatment at, that they spent their time here for their treatment, to see them want to come back and see myself, see Rahi, see their peers. See the nurses come by everybody. and just everybody lights up just this, they do. it's like a reunion every single week. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's it. That's just a gift. Each and every one of them that walks in is a gift. Miracle. Something yeah. I really like about your group too is it's all ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the guy who spoke last night. What is he in his twenties? I yeah. mean, just a young adult and really on the in the beginnings of his career and just a talented individual. And to hear his story. And then the last time I was here, it was, it was a younger guy too, but, uh, you know, I've been here before when it's somebody, uh, maybe a senior or somebody mm-hmm. in their retirement years. So, and they all come together and, yeah. and form this really... There's no gap. There no. really isn't. There, you know, the, the 20-year-olds are, are hugging, the, you know, the seniors. But that, you know, when you were saying that, what I had, th- what was coming to my mind was, you know, we have the... The newer alums that have like their 30 days, 60 days, yeah. 90 days. And then we have the alums that have been around a while that have a couple years or 17 months or 18 yeah. months. And everybody's on the same platform when you walk in that door. Everybody's yeah. on the same level. You know, it, it's pretty amazing. And what's the passage in the big book that talks about um, people who otherwise wouldn't have met? We're like passengers on the great steam liner. It's kind of a reference to the Titanic. We are people that would not normally mix or wouldn't ordinarily mix, right? But there's this camaraderie between us that, you know, even that they say that, uh, you know, like even after we're rescued and we're well on our way, most people that had experienced a traumatic experience in their life would be off and going in their individual ways, not us. We have another tie that binds us together, you know. Rahi has been so um, generous to... Um, say that he would tell us a little bit about himself and his journey in recovery. No, yeah, of course. Um, obviously, I can't compare to Marguerite when it comes to the knowledge on the big book. Like, you know, doing some self-reflection, I, 
What's crazy is I, I go back like nine, ten years, and the previous treatment center I was at, Marguerite, was the recovery coach. Oh, wow. So to come full circle and to, you know, work alongside her and something I greatly believe in, like the Alumni Association, and help out in any, like, facet, like, any way I can, is literally a 180 for me, yeah. you know? It's a new lease on life, like... You know, I get a joy seeing all the alums come by, and it's really, it's really like they're finally taking suggestions. And it didn't get better for me until I started taking suggestions or even having that open mind to want to listen to someone who's been through it and let go of all those old ideas and, you know, negativities that kept bringing me back into treatment and relapses. So when they, when they come in, that puts a smile on my face because it's like, wow, finally, they're taking the suggestions that are just laid out so simply for everyone. And it it wasn't until I had to, you know, lose X, Y, and Z, I finally, you know, got to that point where I wanted to surrender and actually listen to someone who's been through it. So to see someone who's, you know, in that younger age group actually come and listen and take the suggestions and not have to lose X, Y, and Z, go to jails, institutions, and do that, you know, that whole silliness of um addiction and alcoholism it's beautiful mm -hmm. so that's like my sole purpose is to show like another addict or alcoholic regardless of age that they don't have to go through all the pain and suffering to you know have that new lease on life to live happy joyous and free yeah. and it's really just it's one day at a time you know one foot after the other just being a part of something bigger than yourself and That's something amazing that the Alumni Association has to offer where Marguerite's right. Like everyone comes in and there's no there's no clickiness. There's no bias. Like every we all get along, you know, yeah. all on the same footing, you know, coming from the same treatment center. And, you know, when we see a newcomer there, they really are the spotlight, especially mm -hmm. at a meeting at our Thursday night meeting. So it's something beautiful. Will you take us back to when you realized this is a problem? In, in my own? Yeah, in your own life. Uh, all right, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd have to go back early on. Like, so fourth and fifth grade is when I started noticing I had that addictive tendency like there we had that dare program in fifth grade and they would come in and show these different drugs on pamphlets and to not do them and I, what's crazy is I remember looking at those pamphlets so intrigued like wow you know looking like at the actual substances the pictures of the substances and being so intrigued for some reason and I couldn't grasp that until I got older <clears throat> sorry um but Really, it was like the addictive tendencies were out there. I, I would be doing silly stuff like going to um, Rite Aid or Walgreens and stealing Pokemon cards just because I wanted to catch them all, literally. Like, li little things like that. And then um, fast forward into middle school, that's when um, marijuana and drinking was big. And I easily fell into that trap. And Do you remember the first, your first use? Yeah, so my first drink, I was 11, and that that warmth I got, like, that feeling was irreplaceable, but it didn't, 
it opened up the doors to like you know seek that adventure and thrill at the time which was you know trying something being rebellious and from that you know it, it was a it was a slow downward spiral so whenever i had the opportunity i would always you know bring alcohol out with you know my friend group always start pushing that and you know fast i have to fast forward a little bit but it was around ninth ninth grade when um Perkis said um sorry um blues were a big thing and i already had that experimental mindset where you know i'm i'm already smoking and drinking so i'm like what what else you know i wanted to i i I was the type of person where, you know, I had to experience it myself and I couldn't take others' experiences and listen to mm-hmm. that. Like, I had to try everything myself to see if it was really bad or good. Mm-hmm. So with that mindset, you know, I'm literally trying anything and everything. Fast forward into 10th grade, that's when I sniffed my first bag of heroin. At the time, it was heroin. There, there was a clear distinction between heroin and fentanyl. That wasn't even there then Mm -hmm. and this is over 12 years ago so you know that introduction happened a little bit later which I'll share about but so 10th grade I sniffed my first bag of heroin and it was love at first sight Mm -hmm. you know I I got caught in that trap which I didn't spiral out of control right away like high school was still manageable because you know the two households I'm from my parents were are divorced but they both make a decent income so each household had money but you know I remember the first time I ever got sick um I was on literally the internet thinking I had a common cold not realizing it was actually opiate mm. withdrawal and this is 10th grade at the time so figuring out that you know you can get withdrawals from heroin I the, you know what I mean? I had no rec- no idea or conception of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But I'm already at the point where I'm too far in. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to junior year, that's the introduction of needles for me. You know, so then I started, I've, I became a full-on IV drug user. And that's a junior in high school, you know. And Is unfor- anyone noticing at this point? No, surprisingly, no. The, nobody's noticing it. Um... When everyone noticed it, it was when I was 18 and I started getting in trouble with the law. Like, Mm -hmm. my first arrest ever, that's when, you know, both parents realized, you know, that they got their introduction through Al-Anon and Naranon. But Mm -hmm. prior to that, it was just, you know, each house had money. I could pawn whatever I could find from my dad's house or my mother's house to continue my habit. And And the sad part about it is it's... You know, when you're unknowingly doing something like that, you're influencing the others around you. So there was a countless, there was countless number of people in high school that also got into it on my basis as well as other influences. So that was big. You know, the opioid epidemic, especially growing up for me, was prevalent. And can I ask, do you mind sharing, like, what, when did you graduate high school? What year was that? 2012. 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in the height of the of all of that and the access was easy people were able to get prescription pills and definitely um there was section eight house in um two blocks away from my house so literally walking distance i could go and buy drugs so it it was it was there it was prevalent and mm-hmm. you know 
it was just a lot of negativity spread during that time and i could share on that later because mm-hmm. you know what's crazy is i'm i'm so big into recovery because i have 11 friends who were also you know addicted to heroin at the time and only four of them are still here Mm-hmm. The rest of them overdosed and died, and that was through the introduction of fentanyl. We, when people started overdosing more, you know, more often, and between us four, I'm clean and sober for you know I'm I'm almost gonna hit my four year mark. Wow! This other girl is also clean and sober. She's doing well, celebrating two years. The third friend is serving twelve years in prison. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one moved out of the country. So that's seven overdosed and died where four of us are still here. Mm. That's a crazy statistic when you think about it. So to be in my position where I'm at now, it's I'm like I'm grateful to be alive first and foremost, but I'm also grateful to be in a position where I can help someone. Yeah. change their life and you do every single day it's really beautiful what's this bringing up for you marguerite just in all <clears throat> with you know my my addiction didn't start until later in life so to hear you know what i mean 11 years old and in, in junior high you know how you got caught up in that vicious cycle um it's just incredibly amazing that you're sitting beside me today. You know what I mean? It really, truly is. And it just, it's, it's nice to know that um, what I'm kind of thinking is that no matter who walks in that door or who walks in a room, no matter where we are, you know, like we're able to help at different levels, different perspectives, but all the same disease. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's amazing. You are an incredible gift. You really, truly are. I mean, it's an honor to work with you. It really, truly is, and a privilege, you know. And I'm just really proud of you. So how did you get from, you're you're starting to have consequences, you're 18. It's adult consequences now. (laughs) uh, It had to be kind of scary. It it was, but, you know, 18 to 23, that family support was still there, you know, Mm -hmm. so those consequences were, weren't really consequences when, you know, you had two loving, supportive parents that would throw money at any problem. Mm-hmm. So fast forward down the line, you know, you continue, I continue doing, you know, I, I, I'm still in that drug addiction that I'm in. Those family consequences go out the window. Sorry. Um, though that family support finally goes out the window, regardless of like, what support system you have Mm -hmm. you push them away through your addiction alcoholism that's what ended up happening to me you know so it's it's crazy but um i'm actually sitting in jail i'm 23 years old my bail is twelve hundred dollars couldn't find the soul to bail me out Mm. all drug possession charges right so I, I call my father and mind you so the the cycle's been already started i'm in x number treatment by now probably my seven treatment center so i call my dad with the alligator tears i'm like dad i promise i'll um i'll go into long-term treatment if you could bail me out yada 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 and then he starts laughing on the phone i'm mm. like i'm like why is he laughing this is new 
he yeah this is like the first time and then he goes he goes long-term treatment you're in long-term treatment oh so that basically meant like okay now i'm on my own i gotta deal with my problems myself so from that that opened up you know the consequences to my addiction and alcoholism like okay you know now i got it now i'm actually dealing with consequences so that was kind of the pushing stone to you know actually realize what destruction i'm doing so from there you know the family support is gone Mm. you know i i get out of jail get put onto probation and i show up to my father's house and he tells me to go away you know like he goes i can't have you here like this go to my mom's house same exact thing so like they did a little you know for once in their life they agreed on something and that was to you know cut me off and let me live my life and talk to a parent right now who might have to make that decision it, it it's tough but especially in this day and age where overdose is a whole lot more likely it, it's tough you don't want to see it. your 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 um your ch- your child going through that but yeah. that that was really the pushing the catalyst as to me learning what my consequences really are and to did you have a moment like that where the support you were sure on your did. own <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was either go to treatment or you can't live here anymore uh, Basically, yeah, I went to treatment kicking and screaming and negotiated seven days at a time. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And what was that moment like when you knew, okay, this, uh, I, I've pushed them to the end? Hmm. I, I don't, I don't even, honestly, I don't, I didn't take them that seriously. I really, truly didn't. I was was just so caught up in, in doing what I was doing. And, and you know, I, I just got to the point where I was like, well, I've never been homeless in my entire life. And I don't plan on doing it at 39 years old. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this thing. We'll do it seven days at a time. We'll see how it works. You know, like I said, kicking and screaming. Um, fought it tooth and nail. My poor family, you know, my husband had said at the time, he's like, if you don't go, I'm going just to have a break. He said, cause I can't live like this anymore. He said, I really can't live like this anymore. And, um, you know, like I said, every, you know, every seven days when we talked on the phone or they came to visit each time it got, you know, I, I became a little more willing to actually stay in treatment. And the ironic thing about it is the day that I discharged out of treatment, I was absolutely terrified to leave. Mm. You know, so was that what worked for me? No, but it, it helped. It, it it aided in the in the recovery process. You know, I still needed to go out and do a little more experimenting because absolutely everything that was suggested to me, you know, I, go to a meeting, get a sponsor, work the steps, get a home group, all these suggestions, I did a third of what was suggested and thought that I was okay. You know, and for a while I felt okay for about four and a half months, you know, but when you, when you hear addiction references cunning, baffling, and powerful, they are the best three words to describe it, mm. you know, because there was not a blessed thing going on in my life. And the, 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 the thing that I, I like to share with people and especially newcomers is, you know, um, nothing has to happen in your life to pick up. Mm. 
I had an excuse. Well, this happened in my youth. Well, this didn't happen in my youth. Well, this relationship ended. This job ended. This person passed away. There were always excuses. All the to, negatives, but then also all the positives. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> all right. Like there were always excuses for me to drink mm-hmm. or or to use. But then it's like, okay, so-and-so's getting married or, Mm -hmm. you know, I got a promotion or everything became a reason to drink or use. And what I didn't realize, and this was my final bottom, this was my final awakening, my final surrender, first step experience of powerlessness. I was four and a half months sober driving home from work, going home to a beautiful home with a loving husband a wonderful 10-year-old boy doing well in my career. It was a sunny, gorgeous day, and the thought crossed my mind in my own voice. It's been four and a half months since you had a drink. You're not really an alcoholic. You can have a glass of wine. And I didn't fight it. I went to the liquor store, and I bought a, bought a bottle, and I drank a glass of wine. I, my, th- my goal was to drink a glass of wine like a lady, and if I'm perfectly honest, I never drank anything like a lady, ever. So when I chugged that goblet full of wine, I finished the rest off from the bottle and went back to the liquor store for three days in a vicious cycle of tequila and whiskey and you know until I was on the floor and couldn't get up. That's what that looks like in your life. You know, that, um, so the reality in that is those suggestions that they made, I know that they were important and, and it would have been wonderful if I followed them, but apparently I had approved to myself the necessity to follow those suggestions. After that experience, I was willing to do whatever anybody suggested to me, told me to do. I was just like, okay, I'll do it. But that happened on a perfectly beautiful day with not a single problem in my life, nothing going on, mm-hmm. you know. So, But the amazing part of that is five years into my sobriety, after taking the suggestions and getting a sponsor, getting a home group, going to meetings, going through the steps, sponsoring other women, after doing all those things that they suggested at five years sober, my career crashed, my, I lost a parent, marriage troubles, the last thing on my mind was a drink or a drug. Mm-hmm. I stepped up, I showed up, you know, as a significant part of my brother's life, my son's life, my, you know, each person that needed a supporting role. And I also allow people to support me through it. It just drastically changes your life. It really does in the most incredible way. So you're walking away, Rahi, from the door, your mom's, you go to your dad's first, then mom's. Right. What's, what's going on in your head? Uh, What's going on in my head is... Okay, this is a little serious, but at the time my judgment's clouded because I still have that desire to want to use. Mm-hmm. So my sole focus is to find the place to live, which at the time was my ex-girlfriends. So that was the focus. And, you know, this timeline of mine still has a little bit more pain and suffering mm-hmm. to go through. But, you know, th- there are some positives and joys, sobriety that I do want to mention and... You know, unfortunately, just like Marguerite, I wasn't willing to take the suggestions. I wasn't willing to listen to any of them. I still had to experiment. I still had to figure out whether, you know, drugs were the problem, if I could still drink, you know, mm-hmm. if, if how, how I could try to be normal, you know, to really just figure out what this was about. 
until I finally realized, like, okay, no, I'm also an alcoholic, too. I also, I just suffer from addiction, period. Doesn't matter what the substance right. is. Okay, so with that, um, obviously the same repetitive cycle of treatment, out of treatment, treatment, out of treatment, you know, and thankfully, thanks, thankfully I still have a decent insurance, mm-hmm. you know, still have that luxury. But then it got to the point where I no longer had insurance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm completely defeated at that point. I, and it's crazy, but, you know, when, when I share, I, I hate bringing up all the negatives and all the, you know, all like the, you know, th- that whole experience part, because there is a lot of strength and hope in my story, too. So I'm just going to try to summarize most of the pain you know so fast forward still going through you know another institution for me yay (laughs) back to the (laughs) institution you know in and out in and out and then finally i get to the point where i finally get some sort of um sobriety and that's my first stint at long-term sobriety it Mm -hmm. was eight months wow yeah and still one foot in the door and one foot out, not listening to every suggestion provided to me. You know, a lot of the simple suggestions like don't don't get in a relationship in your first year of treatment. I'm not listening to that. So that was the cause of my relapse there. You know, I'm getting into these toxic relationships and my feelings and my emotions are not, you know, at a place where they need to be like there's no growth as far as like step work. It's mm-hmm. just attending a meeting and that's it. You know, no no character improvements whatsoever. So from that eight months, I end up relapsing again. And I am still going through the cycle, but that eight months, you know, repaired a little bit of my um, relationship with my um, family at the time. So I'm able to um, at least go to my father's house because that relationship got a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, right? So... This was, if I go back and this was around 2016, I'm in my father's house using, I'm I'm back to where I'm at, but I'm still trying to manage and go day by day without them noticing. And I actually overdosed for the first time. Mm -hmm. And the person who saved me was my younger brother, who's 16 months younger than me. So we, we... we're close in age and I'm, I'm passed out on my computer desk in my room and he obviously calls um 911 they narcan me i wake up no recollection of what's going on and what's crazy is that obviously didn't do anything so i overdose again within the next I think it was a five-day period, so two overdoses within five days. Mm-hmm. Same exact scenario. My brother comes, sees me in my room, and but this time they take me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, and what's crazy is up until that point, I didn't even think it was possible to overdose from heroin. Yeah. You know, I, I I didn't think that was possible, but that was me not knowing. You know, it's no longer heroin; it's fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it, it finally makes sense now because that's during the time period where Facebook was just filled with rest in peace posts. Everyone was overdosing and passing away. So I finally, like I said, you know, I, I have to touch the hot stove myself. I have to experience it myself. So I'm in the hospital and then I f- 
you know, they're sending recovery coach after recovery coach, or I think we call them um, certified peer recovery specialist mm-hmm. um, in our area. So I go to my last treatment center, um, which was Sunrise House in 2018, November 2nd of 2018. And that that was my last treatment center. And then I finally, you know, was willing to take the suggestions of others where go to a meeting, find the sponsor, get a home group. But up until that point, it was complete surrender, you know. Yeah. I was actually willing to try something different. So I left um, that treatment center with, you know, full motivation to finally want to be better. Went to a meeting, raised my hand, simple. You know, obviously I waited till the end because I was nervous. But from sharing that, I learned, like, you know, the importance of a newcomer because people flocked to me and I finally saw you know, what the fellowship AA was actually about. Mm-hmm. And from that, you know, obviously I'm dealing with that mental obsession because that's what held me back for the longest. It's that that mental part where I do want to do better, but that mind won't shut off, mm-hmm. that, that obsession wouldn't lift. Fi- I finally am able to get through that, you know. So I, I remember it clearly. It was like 95 days in. Because back then I'm counting every single day. <laughs> and I'm able to... I, I woke up and I went to bed without the thought wow. of wanting to use. And I thought that was, that was... To me, that was the biggest spiritual experience ever because that was at the forefront. You know, I, I that thought was so strong every single time. And it would go away here and there, but that it would only go away while I'm in an institution on the outside. It would be right at the forefront. So to actually experience a whole day without that thought was huge. You know, Mm -hmm. that was huge. And it was just actually following every advice my sponsor was giving me, you know, and I was open and honest with them. I'm like, I'm like, look, I can't, I don't know how you guys do this, but that voice in my head won't stop. Mm -hmm. And his simple suggestion was, look, before you go to bed, pray at night. Get on your hands and knees and pray that the next day be easier. And I was actually at that point where mm-hmm. I would do that every night. So 95 days in, I, I I went the whole day without that thought. I called my sponsor. I'm like, wow. You know, like I, I was able to get through the whole day without any thought of wanting to use or get high. And he goes, he goes there. Like, I forget what he said at the time, but he goes, that's good. You're well on your way. And then, you know, from that, it's it's been easier, you know. But from that day in particular, it's been easier to, you know, obviously add more days, celebrate milestones. But with that, you know, sobriety comes with its ups and downs of life. Mm-hmm. That That's something we deal with all the time. So, you know, this um, August 13, 2020... Um, um around I have some time at this point but and I'm I'm fully you know invested in the program but it was that night I'm finally in my father's house you know the room next door is my younger brother who's 16 months apart from me and he ends up passing away around 2 a.m. that mm. night and what's what's crazy is we find out, you know, the reason for him passing away was because he had this heart condition called short QT, mm-hmm. 
which is you know which is mind blowing because this whole time I'm I'm playing with all different types of drugs which are obviously not good for your heart. Meanwhile, he he passes away, learning from my mistakes, and never does anything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that was a huge moment in my life where I was, you know, I I lost a loved one like that. But you know, the one positive thing I was able to get from that was, you know, the the support I had. Like I had a sponsor and a support network that showed up for me. You know, at a mm-hmm. time where I needed them the most and. Someone in my network was able to, you know, break it down for me how I needed needed it at the time. He was like, look, you can either get past this the right way and mourn the loss of your brother properly. Or you can, you know, just go use and get over it temporarily. But then guess what you're going to do in return? You're going to make it so much harder for your family. Yeah. You know, and... And then a month in, you know, he he's like, he's like, congratulations. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you're part of this club. I'm like, what club? He goes, the no matter what club. Mm. I'm like, wow. No matter what, I will not use or drink, regardless of the situation or scenario I'm, I'm dealt with. So I haven't gone through that. Like, you know, at, as sad as it is, it it is a benefit. Because if I'm able to go through that and now in turn work in a position where I can show someone that they can go through that without having to cope with the drink or drug. That's, you know, that that's the beauty of what I'm doing now. And it's beautiful. That's really a powerful story. I think so many times, you know, when we cover up grief, it's not grief lessened it's grief delayed right no you might not feel it right then if if someone chooses to medicate or through that process or drink through that process but it just means we we still have the stuff right we're just covering it up so thank you for doing the work and showing people that it's possible because i think when you get to those life those life moments that seem impossible to deal with sober i mean to deal with at all let alone for someone who's you you were just getting out of treatment right yeah you know it's it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy to think that you're able to go through life where you know something in the past i would i would use over anything you know Mm -hmm. so and you were a strength to your family. Yeah. Like Marguerite said, I was able to be there for my family. Mm-hmm. What's What's that feel like just for the first time? Overwhelming, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about it. Um, well, one of the most difficult times I feel um, was the passing of my mother. You know, mm-hmm. my son was 11 years old. Um, and that first person in his life that he had ever lost. Um, first time in my life I had lost anyone that I loved so deeply. You know, so to be able to recognize and identify your own feelings, but know in that moment that um, you need to step up and be there for another human being, because that was never my mindset, that was never my thought. It was always I needed to be there for me, you know. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
the rest of the world could kind of go on the back burner or put a pause on, you know, but to be able to sit there and comfort him through that and kind of should give him an example of what a healthy mourning process looks like. Mm-hmm. What do we do? You know, how do we handle this? You know, um, and it was really amazing because not only did he get to experience that through me, he also got to experience that through my network. And a network is a group of people that you become close with in, in your recovery because I opened my door and 10 of them were standing on the steps. Mm-hmm. And they all came in. One had a tray of hoagies, another had beverages, another had uh, pizzas. Like they just come in and your entire family's there and mm-hmm. they just come in and they serve you to the best of their ability you know so to have him have that experience not just for mom showing up for him for you know first time in a very long time very long time mom showed up you know there were days when I didn't show up at school to pick him up so for me to show up when he lost his grandmother you know a very significant role in his life and to see how that it's okay for a parent to cry it's okay for a parent to hurt you know that these things are normal and natural mm-hmm. you know and then be able to th- to be there to comfort him through it it, it was just it, honestly it was an extremely rewarding experience it felt it was the first time i think in a long time i felt good about myself how did it feel for you to be there for your family it monumental cuz mm-hmm. uh, all, all the pain and suffering i've caused up until that point you know that that grief and you know, and it, it's crazy as I'm sure they anticipated it because of just my past history. Yeah. But, but to do it and stay clean and sober and be supportive for my youngest brother, like it, it's it's monumental. And I and I'm glad I can say that that was the case as opposed to something else. Sure. You know? And that wasn't without, you know, finding taking those suggestions, finding that fellowship, building that network mm-hmm. and, you know, getting connected with like-minded individuals who've been through the same or similar you know situations but have that experience and guidance they can provide i think that's really great your stories are both so so powerful and and so moving um i think before we started this podcast we were just talking about expectations Mm -hmm. and the fact that like you get sober you go through this, you know, life-altering situation with your family, and you do it, and you, you conquer it, so to speak, or at least for that time, and, you, you know, you're doing all the things, and now life is supposed to be perfect, right? <laughs> um, but it's still life. Yeah. So what is that? Um, how was that? that? That that was... What we were talking about before starting the podcast and that, I don't know why that came to mind, but that was the case. I think it was like a year and a half, two years in, I'm like, all right, you know, I, I've defeated this thing that's been on my back since I was little. You know, I, I overcame done drug addiction. The, I've done all the things. Right. So where, where's, where's my, where's my six figure salary job? <laughs> where's, where's my beautiful girlfriend? Where's my house? Where's all the, all, you know, all these positives since I did that now where's my rewards but it's like Mm. it's like wake up knucklehead um up until this point you haven't developed any skills you've been (laughs) (laughs) you you don't have a college education up until this point you've been you know lying cheating stealing for your next eye 
like wake up. It was a news. And I love what you said earlier too about like there's character development Mm -hmm. that has to come with recovery. That that's a significant portion is working Mm -hmm. on those character flaws that we have. Uh, I think that's so cool. Yeah, it's it's funny. My sponsor has like a funny saying. I could be I could be in like flames, and he would be like, "You're right where God wants you to be." You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. he'll try to redirect and recenter me that I'm in the right place as long as I keep doing the next right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a little bit of gratitude, not a little bit, a lot of gratitude, because that's something I used to redirect me even to this day. Like I, I'll get worked up in certain situations because I obviously want to strive and accomplish more now that I'm, you know, clean and sober and doing everything. I, The same way I used to chase that drug, I chase, you know, wanting to grow and build in my life but it's you know that gratitude like look you're in a position where many others aren't you know that don't they don't have the opportunity they don't have that seat in the chair anymore because of you know overdosing or you know whatever on tragic tragic event that mm-hmm. they've gone through so you know be humble show some humility and i think you said earlier easy does it yeah what does that mean to you? Easy does it is what I have to live by when I work myself up into something like that. You know, like easy does it. Um, it stay in the moment. Like We have those. Uh, some of the alumni t-shirts say life beyond your, your wildest dreams. Yeah. And I think sometimes if you look at that as an outsider... You know, you see somebody pulling up in a car. Maybe they paid for it themselves, but it's not a fancy car. And you see somebody coming, getting their life back, getting their first apartment. Not a Mm -hmm. fancy apartment, but they did it without drugs and alcohol and Mm -hmm. without selling drugs maybe for the first time and did it on honest money. And so this life beyond your wildest dreams... it has a new meaning in a certain sort of way. Talk a little bit about that. Definitely. Um, what's crazy is I do some reflection on my own and I realize like how bad it was and where I'm at now. You know, that, that that's a whole motivating thing mm-hmm. where, you know, I'm slowly achieving and accomplishing these different goals that I had no idea I could have in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. Living, living a beautiful life in recovery that I couldn't even imagine back then. And your priorities are just completely different, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, having actual relationships with people, having the ability to actually, you know, be be there for someone, to be a positive member of society, and to, you know, the, in this role being being a part of like RCA in general and the position I'm offered now as like an alumni coordinator to work with the best there is <laughs> you know it, it's it's really it, it's it's gratifying in in many ways like it it's something I never envisioned myself doing but it's something I want to do yeah and need to do cuz it, it's it's definitely meaningful to me to just be able to show that experience to someone else who's actively going through it. Mm-hmm. What did that phrase mean 
teeth. Like beyond your wildest dreams. Yes. But yeah, when you were saying it, it was just like, my, my brain was exploding. It, it took me to being six months sober was the first time I'll never forget it. You know, people say they never forget the first time they picked up for me. I'll never forget the first time I laid my head on the pillow and my head was quiet. Mm. That to me was life beyond my wildest dreams. Now, had you asked me in my addiction what life beyond my wildest dreams looked like, it would be a, a yacht loaded with lots of alcohol and drugs and, you know what I mean, a wild, crazy music party going. Um, so different. I, I actually, uh, there were two times that, that, that are just so, you know, in the forefront of my mind. That was one of them when I woke up in the morning and I was like, wow, I slept a full night. And I laid my head on the pillow, and it, it wasn't racing thoughts. And there was another time, um, shortly after that, I was out spending the day with a friend. And I got so overwhelmed by the feeling of joy that it terrified me. Mm. It scared me to feel that happy inside and to be experiencing fun naturally. It was a foreign feeling that I called my sponsor and I said, I'm, I just don't know what to do with this feeling. And she said, just embrace and enjoy it because it will pass, mm-hmm. you know, just like everything else. She said, so just roll with it and enjoy it and have fun with it, you know. And I love that, like this whole thing for us, and, you know, I, can, I think I can speak for the both of us. It's about our perception of life. It really is. Mm-hmm. Ours was... You know, one way and um, instant gratification. I want rewards immediately. You know, I, I there there was no earning process. I never wanted to do anything to earn anything. I just wanted to receive it. And we spent. I spent a great deal of my life receiving it and not having to do anything to earn it. You know, so um, today, like these milestones that we reach, small things to others, but huge to us. You know, um, like going to school, going to college, or, you know, getting a position where you feel like you can help other human beings. Those things to us are life beyond our wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. Because never for a minute, and there are times when people will pay us compliments or, or make a comment about us, and we're literally looking behind us to see who they're talking about. Still to this day, you know what I mean? Because we're, we're still not fully there believing that we are you know, this person that you're looking at and, and uh, you know, thank you so much. What you said helped me so much. It's like, who? yeah, I want to thank them too. And, and you realize that that person's talking to you and it just like, I mean, it's so overwhelming. Sometimes it reduces you to tears, but not sad tears, just like so grateful, you know, that, that God did this for us. You know what I mean? That, you know, and I love that, you know, uh, constant references from sponsors and people in the program we are the chosen few we really truly are you know and uh you know and my belief is like you know he didn't come and 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 pick the people that were on top of the world doing great things he picked the people that were struggling turn their life around so that they can go out there and help others and show them how to turn their life around so we have a responsibility and obligation to do that today that's where it takes me. So if you're going to give somebody like me that responsibility to help another human being change their life, that's huge. That's life beyond my wildest dreams. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, thank the listeners for tuning in. Um, these stories are so powerful and, and really um, uh, speak to so many. So thanks for sharing, Rahi. Inspiring, truly. You did a great job. We, typically end with favorite recovery quote favorite recovery quote we're gonna we're gonna stick with easy does it yeah but do it (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna gonna put that on a t-shirt i think that's really good rahi Mm -hmm. easy does it but do you but do it 
you have to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well done. Marguerite, do you have one? I have so many, you know, that, Jay, I think today. Pick one today. Yeah, I'll pick one today. Um, you know, uh, when we're talking about Ebby, um, Bill's description of Ebby, when he first saw him sober, he, he references him as um, his roots grasped new soil. And that's exactly what I see today, you know, and that's, a, that's exactly that's where beautiful. my mind is today. Our roots are in new soil, so let's glow, let's grow, flourish, you know, and uh, plant some new seeds. Perfect way to end. Thank you. Listeners, if you or someone you know needs help, please reach out to us. 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Call Marguerite. Call Rahi. Um, our emails are available. Cell phone numbers are available. We, we often say we, we're your recovery resource. And, and that doesn't mean that we're going to have everything you know, right there at our fingertips, but we can link you to the resources that you need. So take advantage of that. Um, There are coordinators at each and every one of our locations, um, but they're happy to help anyone who needs support and recovery. So you don't have to have an affiliation to RCA necessarily to just reach out and, and make use of the recovery resource that is the Alumni and Family Association. So thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Strength and Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tap the subscribe button and leave us a review. We love hearing from our listeners and hope to reach more of you out there as we continue to share these incredible stories of recovery. The RCA alumni team aims to provide a safe, supportive environment for those in the recovery community, regardless of their affiliation with RCA. We host a full calendar of virtual and in-person meetings seven days a week, 365 days a year, as well as free sober events every month. To learn more about what we do, find us at rcaalumni.com. Remember, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, pick up the phone and dial 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Help is available 24-7. Listen to another episode now or join us next time for the Strength and Recovery Podcast.